grab your Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 in just a moment. My name is Daryl. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, we are, we are glad you are here. There's a card in the back of the seat that uh, looks just like this. Let me tell you before you grab this, uh, you may, if this is your first time, uh, you may wonder what you've gotten into. Let me just tell you from the uh, depths of my heart, the desire of uh, the leadership and the uh, body of Christ that is cornerstone in this place it's pretty simple, guys. It's to, it's to come into the presence of God. It's to find ourselves together as a family in Christ at His feet. And at His feet, we, we want to just pour out our adoration and our love for Him. Whatever the Holy Spirit directs us towards to appreciate of the character, of the holiness, the kindness of our God, we just long to sit at His feet and love on Him. While we're there, the added benefit we have is that he, that he has spoken to us and we open his word and we come into his presence to gather together to see how God's word can shape us, change us, conform us, conform us into the likeness of his firstborn. Amen. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. If, you, if you're wondering, what, what, is this, what are these people doing? Like, why, why do they sing like this? Even if, they, even if they can't hit the note, and I'm not talking about you, Ricky. I'm talking about, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. Even if we, even if we can't do it uh, perfect, what, what are they doing? I hope that you see that our hearts are longing for our God. That's it. That's it. If you go away and say, well, man, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't, it wasn't anything uh, special in regards to human abilities or talents. I hope you leave this place and say, that, man, those people were after God's heart, and the Spirit was in that place. That's my desire. So, back to the great card. Back to the great card. It, it breaks like this. There's a small portion. If you do us the, the honor of having some info about you, we'd love just to have a record of your visit. We want to be able to pray for you. I promise I won't come knocking on your door this afternoon and wake you up in the middle of your nap. Okay, I won't do that. We won't put you on the junk mail list. All right, we're not going to do that. We'd love just to have a record of your visit. There's also a place on the back where you can ask questions about our church or, or request more information, and we'll be, we'll be diligent to uh, get you that information as well. And then a large portion you can keep, and it has some information about our church. Here's what you do with these. Uh, before you leave today, there's a brown box on the table on your way out there, just on the right. It's a wooden box. That's where we give our tithes and our offerings. You may have noticed that for some reason, we didn't stop and pass a plate and, and take your money. Uh, that's not our desire either this morning. If you are led by the God, uh, Cornerstone Congregation, to give to him, then we trust that he's going to get your heart and you're going to do that. So that's what that brown box is for. So if you're visiting, we ask that you make this your offering to us today. That's all that we ask. We'd love to be able to have a record of your visit and pray for your family. Amen. Um, I'm going to leave the announcements to your bulletin. We're going to jump right in this morning. Why don't you pray with me as we begin? Holy Spirit, would you, would you join us for our worship now in the Word, that it might um, spark in us a new affection for the grace of our God. We sang just a moment ago, Lord, that if grace were an ocean, we're all sinking. We're all sinking. Truth is, we'll never reach the depths of the grace of our, of our kind creator God. But Lord, would you, give us, would you give us a greater glimpse this morning? Would you take that dark area that has been out of our reach for maybe, maybe up till now and would you, would you shed light into an area of your grace that we've perhaps never embraced before? 
But Lord, would you, would you in doing that, would you change us? For those who have placed their faith in you, would you encourage them by your grace? And for those who have yet to trust you as, as a Lord of their life and as the Savior, would your grace draw them? Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. The substance and the essence of the true gospel is the doctrine of God's grace. If you take away grace from the gospel, you have extracted from it its very lifeblood. And there is nothing left worth preaching, worth believing, worth contending for. Grace is the soul and the music of the gospel. Without it, the gospel is silent. Charles Spurgeon. Uh, in your bulletin this morning, I, uh, I did you and me a favor, and I gave you an overview of where we've been in this series. Our series is called, What God Says About Me. Here's our desire. Our desire is to, is to know the truth about ourselves. And sometimes what we think is true about ourselves is just not the truth, right? You know that to be the fact in uh, everyday life. But when it comes to what God says about us, very often our opinions are off the mark. We need God to tell us what is true about us. That's been the goal of this series, to, to see in Scripture what God wants us to know is true about ourselves. One man, one ministry put it this way, that the work that we do now as a body of Christ, we seek to be evangelists to the unbelieving parts of the believer's hearts. Think about that for a moment. That's an amazing statement. You know, we think our evangelism, in a sense, is done, that the work of the gospel is done when we come to Christ. But the truth is, we don't fully comprehend all that God has done for us, even we who are in Christ. Unfortunately, we, we don't grasp. We don't grasp the height and the depth. We don't, we don't grasp the magnitude of the gospel. And so we, we continue the work of evangelism, in a sense. We, we continue to preach the gospel to the hearts of believers so that those parts of our hearts that are still yet not, not sold on the gospel would come to believe fully in the truth. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking to see what the, what the scriptures have to say to us so that it would pierce parts of our heart that are still yet in some sense unbelieving, that we're not buying into that God could love us the way he does. It, we, can't, we can't believe that we're, we're saints according to, according to the gospel. We can't believe that we're actually secure, that there, there is no doubt. There is no doubt that when we stand before God, we'll be accepted as sons and daughters. I mean, we, we say these things, but we, in the depths of our heart, we, we, don't, we don't buy them completely, perhaps. And so this series, we're, we're trying to reinforce those truths that are, that are critical, that our hearts have, have maybe not fully absorbed. There in your bulletin, you have a list. We're on part eight today of our series. And our series title for today is that I am bound by grace. I'm bound by grace. We're in Romans chapter 6, 
And uh, we've been taking a hop, skip, and a jump through the book of Romans, primarily chapters 5 through 8. This is where the Apostle Paul tells us what is true about us now that we have been justified in Christ. It's as if he says to the church, now let me tell you what that actually means. Here's what God has done for you. Now let's understand it. Let's grab hold of it. Let's make sure that every part of our hearts fully understands what the gospel, what grace has done. And so you can see in your bulletin what we've gone through in that We're in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 14 where we left off and he says this, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Grace. There's been a change of command, church. When you are in Christ, when you have been born again, he's already told us that we died with Christ. We are raised with him necessarily, and now we are alive with Christ. That was last time. Those things are true about us. We're not just following after this person. We're not just intellectually believing in a religion. We have been born anew. And so just like that that caterpillar becomes a butterfly and can never go back, we can never go back. Now, there's an underlying question. There's an underlying problem in this text that Paul is addressing that we get to benefit from. And here, here's the question. If in chapter 5, Paul, you have made it absolutely clear that we are saved by grace and by grace alone, that the love of God was demonstrated, us, demonstrated to us on the cross to show us the magnitude of how he loves us, If he loves us that big, and Paul did a wonderful job of overwhelming us with the love of God, To the point where at the end of chapter 5, you find yourself saying, is it really that good? Does it really cover that much of my sin? Is it really that total? Is it really that complete? Is it really that whole? That Paul found some people at the end of it scratching his head and saying, well, wait a second. Does that mean, does that mean that if God is that good, if grace is that complete, and, and if grace covers my sin in the way you're saying it does, Does that mean now that since I'm covered, I can just go out and live however I want? Now that logically has some sense to it. Only if you're not actually in Christ. Paul spent the beginning of chapter 6, and we spent a couple weeks looking at this and refuting this. He says it, it can't work that way. It can't work that way. I mean, if you're just going to approach Jesus in a formula standpoint, that, okay, if you're going to cover all my sins, all right, great, now I've got my ticket to heaven, and now I can live the rest of my life however I want, because I know it's that complete and it's covered me that well, I can just go on and do whatever I want. That's a cool religion. I'll accept that. I'll buy into that. I get my ticket to heaven, but I get to keep my own life. I get to do what I want to do. I'll buy that, and so we'll give it a shot. And some of us, perhaps even in this room, buy into Christianity on that level, that it's just this intellectual ascent, this this guy that we've chosen to follow over other guys out there, leaders of religions, so to speak. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Do you not know that we actually died in this scenario? Christianity, it's an actual transformation. And now we're actually alive. And we live to God. Why? Because we're in Christ. And it says that Christ lives to God. And so that's also true of us. What's true of him is true of us. Everything's changed. And so Paul scratches his head back as if to say, I don't think you you understand. I don't think you you get it. I mean, mathematically, you might look at it that way, but that's, that's not the heart of those who have been transformed. 
something about our, our, very, uh, our very inner man has been, has been changed. It's not the same anymore. So he continues this argument, unfolding this, this ridiculousness that we could just go on and do whatever we want to do. Uh, the last verse we saw is the one I just read to you. Look back at it, 14. For sin shall not be master over you. When you come to Christ, Christian, when you come to Christ, sin does not get to be in charge anymore. And by sin, I don't mean those individual things you trip up and do. I mean, I mean that, that force, that thing that has created fallenness in humanity, sin that goes all the way back to the garden, that, that evil, it's not in charge anymore. When you come to Christ, you have now a new master. It's changed. Now follow his argument here. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? If we're not living according to rules and regulations anymore, should we just go out and do whatever we want? Because we're just under grace and he's going to be gracious so I could do whatever I want. And Paul says once again, same phrase he used back earlier in this chapter, may it never be. Uh, one of my seminary professors said that, that that phrase is the strongest phrase in Paul's, <laughs> in Paul's inner man that he could use without cursing. May it never be. That, that doesn't happen. That's not the truth of what it means to be in Christ. You see, there were those who were saying, you know what, if, if, you, if you preach this gospel of grace that is that good, Paul, you know what will happen? We'll have a lawless people. There'll be rebellion if you just give people that free ticket to heaven, guess what? They're just going to live like hell. And now what, what do we have there? Paul says, wait, wait, wait. What, what you fail to understand is there, there's a change in this man. There is a new life now born. And it doesn't lead to lawlessness. It doesn't lead to disobedience. It leads to righteousness. Watch. Do you not know, verse 16, that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, what a word, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, he's going to use an illustration. He's going to use this picture that they were very well familiar with of a slave and a master to make a point here. Here's his point. We're always under a master. Before we came to Christ, we had a boss, and sin was our boss. And it ruled our life. We were slaves to the entity of sin. And we had to submit to it. To the point of unrighteousness. And it would lead us eventually to the point of death. We, we were dying in sin. It was our boss and we were slaves to it. Just as though that were true. There is also now a new master to consider. You see, some of us have this idea that when we come to Christ, we're free to do whatever we want to do. We got our ticket. Now, we're free to do whatever. Paul, are we free to live now in Christ however we want to live? No. You know what you're free to do? Here's what you're free to do. You're free now to be a slave to a new master. You're now free not to do just what you want to do, you're finally free, Christian, to do what you ought to do. And now we have a master, and it's no longer the kind of master we had before. Now we have a new master, and look who it is. 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? That's just a principle. That's, that's, a, that's a fact. Either of sin resulting to death or now obedience. Obedience in context here is obedience to grace, which is our new master, to which you were committed. Uh, uh, skip to verse. Excuse me. Resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now that's, that's the end game of obedience to grace. Verse 17. But thanks be to God, and it's as if Paul bursts out in worship here, that though you were slaves, past tense, that's the old story, that's what was true about you. That was part one of this series, by the way. There's CDs in the orange room if you need one of those. We once were slaves of sin. Look at, look at the picture now. Here's the truth. You became obedient from the, what's the word? Heart, circle that word because it's key to understanding this passage. You have become now obedient from the heart to that form of teaching for which you were committed. We have a new master now. The game has changed. We're not free to do anything we want. We're free to do what we've always ought to have done. We're free to be obedient to righteousness. The master that is over us now is no longer sin. We have a new master You can call it grace. You are no longer under law, but you are under grace. Did you notice in verse 14, he says that uh, he gives this picture of being over and under. Sin was over us, and now we are under grace. You see the difference? Thanks be to God, though, that you were slaves to sin, but now you became obedient. That word obedient in the Greek, it's the passive verb. Here's what it means. It means uh, literally that you've, you've been, well, the picture is that you've been handed over to someone. It's as if you've been turned in to authorities, okay? You've become obedient now in the heart, but it's a passive verb, which means this. It's not something you have done yourself. It's not something you have actively done. That'd be an active verb. This is a passive verb, and it means somebody from the outside has done this for you. Somebody has, somebody has, in a sense, forced this issue for you. Who is it? It's God. The truth about Christianity is that when you come to Christ, our master changes. And there's this thing that happens in our heart to where God hands us over to be obedient, not to law, not to rules, not to regulations, not to documents, not to tablets made of stone, but he hands us over to be obedient in our very hearts. Do you notice a difference between these two masters? One is by rule and regulation. One is a legal term, and one is a term of affection and endearment. The game has changed, church. We are no longer bound to sin, you might say, according to our title. Here's how you live now, church. You live in Christ bound by grace. You want to know who your new master is? Your new master is the grace of God. Your new authority over you, that thing that you've now been placed under, you're not just free to live your life however you want to live your life. That's not how Paul sees salvation. That's not what Christianity does. What Christianity does is it puts you under the right authority and now gives you the freedom to do everything that you should do in obedience out of your heart, not according to rules and regulations so you can mathematically gain God's approval, but from the affections of your heart. God has shaped it so. He's made you become obedient in your very heart so that you can serve grace. You can serve grace. Watch. Keep going. 
Verse 18, here's the result. You've now been freed from sin. Freed from sin. That's what we get. You became now, what's the picture? Slaves of righteousness. Now these are strong words. These are strong words. You have a new master, Christian. You're slaves to righteousness. Will we become unlawful, immoral, disobedient people when we come to Jesus by grace alone? Will that free gift, will it cause us just to live however we want to live? Uh, think about it this way. This is the best way I can explain it. Ladies, if, uh, if you were getting married and I told you that here is the story of your, of your spouse. Early on when you met, you met because maybe you had some sort of, uh, let's say you, you had an accident and you, and you fell uh, into, into a pool and you couldn't swim. And this man, he didn't know you. He dove in and he saved your life. Okay, And that's how you met. Wouldn't that be a cool story? Like he, he saved my life. And then you grew to, to, to know each other and have an affection for one another. And let's fast forward now to your wedding day. And on your wedding day, and, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm just throwing all of us under the bus because none of us measure up to this. On our wedding day, uh, this man is going to hold you by your face, ladies, and he's going to make this promise to you. I will never, ever, ever divorce you. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, sickness, health, for richer or for poorer, you are safe with me. Now, do you think that uh, if that's you, ladies, you're going to say, wow, this is, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, because it's that good, I think I'm going to run out and spend all your money. Uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to be unfaithful left and right. I mean, what is he going to do? He's, he's in it this deep with me. He's committed to me in this way? Well, ah, great. I can do anything I want. Now, that's, that's probably not what's going to happen in your heart, ladies, is it? You know what was happening in the hearts of these ladies, guys? Let me tell you. It was like the notebook all over again or something <laughs> worse. They're just melting and they're saying, if, if that is the truth of my beloved... If his banner, as the bride in Song of Solomon says, if his banner really is over me, is love. If, if the picture of our relationship is that he brings me into this banqueting table, Song of Solomon chapter 2. If, if, that's, if that's the picture, that he saved my life and he's now protecting it, and I'm safe in him. You know what? <laughs> I'll give that man everything. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'll, I'll give him everything I got. He's got my whole heart. He's won my heart. By what? Rules? Regulations? We're hitched now. You gotta, you gotta love me. Duty? No. He's won it by love. He's won it by the graciousness of the gift he has given her. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what happens in our Christianity. Watch this. In verse 19, he understands that this slave terminology is kind of harsh. And it could be misconstrued. 
And so he gives you a little caveat here. It's interesting. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. When I use this analogy of a master and a slave, you got to understand that in other places in Scripture, he's going to make sure that we understand that we're no longer slaves when we come to God. I mean, that's not, the, that's not the full picture he wants us to grasp, but it helps him to make the point right here. And in the weakness of our understanding, he uses it so, so to help us understand that we're under this we're under this authority, and it's not an authority that, that forces us, and it's an authority that draws us with cords of love. But he says, listen, uh, we, we are no longer slaves. Scripture says that he now calls us friends, sons, daughters. We're beloved. But he, but he, but he needs the analogy. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, that's the process, of being under sin. So now, present your members. That, that's, our, that's our physical body. That's our Romans 12, 1 and 2. That we lay our lives on the altar, living sacrifices. We present now the members of our body as slaves to, check this out, what is it? Who are we slaves to? We're slaves to righteousness. Resulting in, not death, but sanctification. He's making us into, into that beloved bride. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit or what fruit were you then deriving from those things for which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. How do we feel as Christians about our old life, about our old ways? We are increasingly ashamed of those things. And when they creep back up into our new life in Christ, we don't embrace them. That's not the heart of the believer, Paul would say. We don't, we don't draw to them. We're not, we're not affectionate towards them. He'll unfold that even more in the next chapter. But his point here is, is that those things led to sin and they lead to death. They're, they're corruption. And as, as a believer now, those things bring us shame. Uh, will, we, will we preach grace to men and women, give them a free ticket to heaven and they'll just live like whatever? No, not if you understand grace. If you understand grace, your heart is drawn and you'll do anything. You'll do anything for that one who would love you to that degree. And now my heart has been changed and, and how do I feel towards those, those old things? Oh, they bring shame. And when they creep back up, our hearts don't feel the same way, do they, anymore? It's like rottenness in our bones to embrace that old sin. It leads to death. But, verse 22, look at what happens under the new master. Having been freed from sin. Past tense, by the way. Christian, past tense. Having been freed from sin. And enslaved. He still thinks it's a good analogy. Enslaved now to God, you derive your benefit, or literally a fruit, resulting now in sanctification. And the outcome, what's the outcome? Eternal life. That's what we get. Do you think we'll just run out and do whatever we want to do on a God who would, by grace, save us? and then put us now under the authority of grace. Christian, here's what you need to understand. Here's the truth. The truth is that, that I and you are bound to a master. But thanks be to God that the master over us is grace. Do you know that he's no longer keeping, 
tab on you. There are no, there are no good day and bad day checkboxes in heaven with your name at the top. Do you know that he's not looking at your performance to determine whether or not he's going to love you? That he no longer looks down on your life and says, do they measure up? Birth determines your identity. Birth determines your heritage. Birth determines when, where you will spend eternity. Not your performance. It's never worked that way. It doesn't work that way now, Christian. So what are we to do? What are we to say? We're to be blown away by God's grace. Is it master over us? It sure is. It sure is. I don't know about you, but when we sing some of these songs and, and, I, and I just think about his love, that last song we sang. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way I'd want to I'd harm one who has loved me in that way. And I seek to bring, as Paul would say, my, my flesh under dominion so that it not, it not runs back to that old way of living. And when that, when that sinful, when those sinful ways rear their ugly head, it's, it's shame to my bones. It's not what I love anymore. I love righteousness. Christians, we love righteousness. We're bound, church, but we're bound by grace. Let me show you the last verse, and we'll wrap up. You know it. You could quote it. Romans 6.23. Maybe you memorized it in Awana or some Sunday school way back when. For the wages of sin is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about it differently now in the context. This is amazing. Look at this. Under the old master, we worked, didn't we? (laughs) We worked... And we earned a wage, he says here. Uh, This word wage is used for a soldier's pay. A soldier's pay. It's what he earns. Under the old master, you earn a wage. Guess what it is? It's death. Under the new master, do you earn a wage, Christian? Do you have a job, Christian? Uh... Are you working for someone in that sense anymore, Christian? No. Do you notice the change here? You're not working for a wage. Christian, you've been handed a free gift. You've done nothing for it. You've done nothing. You're under grace. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. And that, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. That's what he said in Ephesians. Listen to this, Ephesians 3. Ephesians, by the way, is kind of a, an abbreviated version of Romans. Listen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your, what's the word? Anybody know? Hearts hearts now he's written he's written the law on our hearts no longer tablets of stone it's a it's a it's a change here 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled up, Christian, to all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Christian. That's my prayer for you. True story. Wealthy industrialist. Had a son and had a wife. Loved them dearly. His wife uh, grew ill and died. He was left with just his son. His son was killed tragically. After his son's death, this man, um, he fell apart. Life seemed to lack uh, the meaning that it once had. His affections for them were so great that he soon became ill himself and passed away. He had no one else to leave his estate to, and his estate was large. There were many, many, many valuable things in this man's estate. And so he had an estate sale. He had, a, he had a, uh, an auction. And at the auction, they had lined up all these beautiful pieces of art, cars, homes, all of this man's worldly collection. And people lined up at this auction, the story goes, to buy all of this stuff at bottom dollar because no one was left to have it. The first thing that came up for auction was this large oil painting of the man's son. The auctioneer steps up to the auctioneer's table and he says, who will begin the bidding on this beautiful oil painting of this man's beloved son? And of course, that's not why anyone was there. That's his son. It's not, it's not anyone I have affection towards. And he called out again, would anyone bid? Would anyone start the bidding? What do we have for this oil painting of this man's beloved son? Anyone. Still nothing. And this uh, lady in the back finally got the courage. She stood up and she says, if no one will have it, I don't have much, but whatever I have, I'll give you. This was the nanny of the son after the mother had passed away. She said, I loved that young man, and I'll take it if no one wants it. And she gave all that she had that day for that oil painting of the beloved son. And as everyone was glad, we were ready to move on now, the auctioneer slams the gavel, and he says, auction closed. And everyone's, <laughs> they're blown away. What do you mean, auction's closed? What about all this other stuff? And he says, by the will of this man, for whoever loves my son gets it all. They get it all. Let me tell you another story. There was a, there was a rich man, and he had a son, a son who decided that he was going to live like hell. He was going to do whatever he wanted to do. He was going to take the inheritance of his father, and he was going to, uh, he was going to spend it, and he was going to have a whole lot of fun doing it. And he came to his senses one day, Scripture says, by the way, that this young man had spent his fortune and he found himself as low as you could go. And he wised up and he said, what, what am I doing in this, in this pit? I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to go back to my father. 
And, and my father is such a good father that, that I'd just be happy to be one of his servants, one of his slaves. So I'm going back. And the story goes that it, that it seems that he's building up now his apology for his dad on the walk back. But the story says that while he was yet still far off, the father who was, mind you, looking for him the whole time, sees his son from afar off and doesn't just wait. He runs out to him, falls on his neck, kisses his son, rejoices. My son, you've been found. You were dead, but now you are alive. And the son goes into this speech and the father just interrupts him and he says, go get, go get the barbecue. Go call all of our friends. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And the kid just stops in, in midstream of his apologies and trying to, trying to just hopefully become a slave in his father's house. And his father will have nothing to do with that. And his father will say, you're a son. Here's your ring. Here's your cloak. Here's all of your inheritance. You're, you're my son. You're loved. You're alive. And they have, they have this huge party. They have this huge party. And then, and then this guy comes out of the woodwork, some family member, this older brother guy. He says, this doesn't make any sense that it's this good, that it's this free, that it's this lavish of a love for the one who's lived like this. And the father, as if to say, you don't get it. He's alive. And he's my son. It's a story of God. It's a story of his love for us. How do you think that son lived the rest of his days in his father's house? He lived under a new authority. He thought he would come back and live under law. Rules, you failed here. You get to do this. And you'll earn this. Now, the father handed him a free gift. He didn't give him a job and a wage. He says, you're my son. You're my son. And you don't need to worry about earning your way back in here. I'm going to give it to you freely. And I believe that the rest of that story, if we knew it, will be that that son lives obedient to his father because he's amazed by the grace He's amazed by the love. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As Paul said, Lord, your love compels us. Your love compels us. It has saved us. And by your grace, you cause us now to just rest the banner you wave over us as believers who have trusted in the sacrificial offering of your Son, the banner that you wave over us, the authority that you hold over us, the authority that calls us to obedience, to righteousness, the authority that leads us in the ways of sanctification, it is just as compelling as that, that old master, but oh, how much more glorious it is because our new master his grace. How he loves us. How he loves us. If grace were an ocean, Lord, we're all sinking in it. We're all sinking in it.
Hopefully this morning now you understand why it is called amazing grace. The truth is that it's probably still nowhere near as amazing as God understands it to be. There's still parts of your heart, Christian, that need the gospel preached to it. That need the light of love and grace to shine upon it. Would you ask God in these final moments to bring gospel light, the light of grace and mercy and love to your hearts in maybe a way that it, that it wasn't when you came in here. That your affections for him would grow even stronger. That the testimony of the church, that the testimony of the believers would not be lawlessness and immorality and sinfulness. The testimony of the church, because of the grace God has bestowed upon us, will be righteousness and ever-increasing sanctification. We will look upon those things of old with shame, knowing that they lead to death. And we will willingly and graciously humble ourselves to the new master who is Jesus. It is amazing grace. Maybe you, maybe you this morning have never, have never understood the work of God and of Jesus in quite this way. Maybe you just thought he was a good teacher. Maybe you just thought he was a moral guy that lived some time back in history. Maybe, if he's even real. Maybe you just assumed it was one of a myriad of religions to choose from. But this morning, not just by my words, but through the power of Scripture being being shared before us this morning and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you sense that this God is in fact as loving as we've been, we've been trying to communicate this morning. Perhaps this morning, in His presence, you sense the, the wretchedness of your sinfulness. There is shame in your sinfulness before a holy God who would love you this much. My prayer for you before we began this morning was this, that the love of God this morning would overwhelm the debt of your sin. That as your sin weighs heavy on you, that God would, would fly in this morning, would swoop down into your hearts and lift the burden with His love. That you would understand that His grace is offered freely. That you need do a thing. but accept by faith the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and live the rest of your days in love with a God who first loved you. All the righteousness, all the requirements of law will finally be available for you to achieve with grace as your new master. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Take these last just couple moments. Spend it with God. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be right here. You can come sit down next to me and we'll talk.